Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to the Arkansas AgCast for October 20th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we bring you tricks and treats as we learn about the disgusting dead man's fingers and mildly terrifying carnivorous plants. And we talk about fun fall harvest and Halloween activities. Dr. Terry Spurlock talks about a fungus impacting soybeans in Arkansas called Zalaria polymorpha, commonly known as dead man's fingers. Dr. Spurlock has seen symptoms of taproot decline from southeast to northeast Arkansas and gives growers some tips for dealing with the issue if it shows up on their farms. All right. Part of our special Halloween episode of the Arkansas AgCast. Uh, I think it's perfect for a monster living underground and eating the dead. Or maybe Dr. Uh, Terry Spurlock will tell me that uh, I'm a little off on that description. We'll see. But we are here with Dr. Spurlock to talk about dead man's fingers. uh, Or I guess the scientific name is Xylaria necrophora. Uh, Dr. Spurlock, thank you for joining me. I'm sure I have... uh, Messed a couple of names up already, <laughs> but I hope you'll tell me. Thank you for joining the Arkansas AgCast. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here and talk about uh, taproot decline. And so you you, yeah. you got it partially right there with the dead man's fingers. But okay. the, the reality is the, the dead man's fingers are a sign of the fungus, which is Xylera necrophora. And that fungus causes a disease in soybean that's becoming pretty serious in the southern southeastern part of Arkansas called taproot decline. Okay. Yeah, well tell tell me a little bit about about that and uh you know, I guess sort of how it got how it started, how it got here and 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 uh how we've dealt with it thus far. Well, we don't know how it got here. Uh we have some we had some theories. Uh I think I think we're learning a lot about where it came from, but we're not ready to to definitively say yet. Um, it's it's that's kind of a complicated puzzle to put together. What we do know about it is that in Arkansas we can find it as far north as like Jonesboro, just here there, but it's not really an issue uh, anywhere in the state yet that we found uh, outside of those bottom three counties in southeast arkansas that produce a lot of soybeans so Mm -hmm. you know the very southeast part of of drew county chico county deshay county and that eastern part of ashley county there's some fields that are uh, severely impacted by taproot decline so going back to tell the story i just one i tell a lot i really enjoy it because it kind of shows how scientists work through the progression of a of an issue right okay we you know we didn't know we didn't know what this thing was but we knew it was different or at least we had some inclination that was different so the way i tell the story and and the best recollection i have is 2007 as I was start, just starting grad school, actually, there was some researchers in Louisiana, Arkansas, Mississippi, and, and one in particular that's kind of been uh, from the very beginning uh, scratching his head and pulling what little hair he had left on top of his head out, Tom Allen, who's an extension plant pathologist in mm-hmm. Mississippi. They found something that looked different. And it kept getting misidentified and people kept sending samples around and nobody really knew what it was. And I became an extension plant pathologist in Southeast Arkansas at Monticello in 2013. And that's kind of when my lab started working on it as 
the a continuation of the Arkansas contingent that my predecessor at that position had kind of already begun. Okay. And uh, it took us until 2017 to understand that this was a new fungus, a different disease than anything we had seen, or a new fungus to us, I should say, that got a new name by our group working together. And uh, it took, took a lot of years to get to that point. Uh, to name a disease, taproot decline, to name a fungus, Xylera necrophora, and, and, and completely describe it in the scientific literature. Mm, okay. So, so that's helpful. So taproot decline is what we named the actual impact on the, on the plant. Is that right? That's the name of the disease. Okay. The disease. Okay. And, and right now we, we the highest concentrations in Southeast part of the state, but it is you know, it does pop up other places, but sort of in an uncalculated way. It's, it's just very sporadic here, okay. there and everywhere. I found some perfect example. I found some this year in Lawrence County in Hoxie. I did a fungicide trial up there and I just happened upon it when I was rating disease. Mm-hmm. And there, I mean, there wasn't enough to matter. I mean, if you ran the combine through there, you wouldn't see the impact of taproot decline on the yield monitor. It was just a few plants. Okay. But it's there. And that's mm-hmm. important because where we're at with this disease is one of the questions we have as scientists is when we see just a few of the foliar symptoms, which I'll describe here as soon as I finish telling you this, mm-hmm. is when we see a few of the foliar symptoms, what we don't know yet, or we don't have a full appreciation of yet, is what is going on beneath the soil surface. What, how, what's the level of actual taproot decline? That's why we named it taproot decline. On plants that don't have the bright yellow foliar symptoms. So if anybody's seen taproot decline, you already know this. If you hadn't, there's like this yellow chlorosis. Plants stick out like a sore thumb. You can... You know, 55 miles an hour driving down the highway, you can look out there and go, yeah, that yellow tuft of soybeans right there that's, you know, about the size of a trash can lid, that that's probably taproot decline. You can see it. It's really, And that's what the consultants see in the farmers, and that's when we get called. Well, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the foliar symptom, but the damage is being done beneath the soil surface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where that root is rotten and that plant is not able to function well and uptake water and nutrients like it should so that it can yield well. And so that's that's where the name comes from and that's what the for you know for the most part that's what the symptomology looks like. And again, okay. what we don't know is when there's not foliar symptoms, you know, how much of that taproot decline uh disease is underneath the soil surface and 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 so the the dead man's fingers that it produces are pretty unique it's like these little white uh pointy spike looking things and most of the time it's on stubble well normally where this in the genus is Zylaria, these are reproductive structures um we haven't seen that to be an important part of the reproduction of this particular fungus but they're there, especially after a rain event or an irrigation. You can find them uh, growing all over the beds. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I imagine folks should not Google dead man's fingers to see images of this. <laughs> well, can you point us well, towards? Oh, go ahead. I, I mean, you know, uh, if you've got your safe search on, I think you're, I think you're <laughs> all right because I tell you what, there's a lot of, so there's a lot of Xylaria species that produce some pretty unique dead man's fingers. And I think people that, people that like fun, you know, people that like fungi, there are people out there in the world that just hike through the forest, especially in Arkansas to hunt mushrooms and mm-hmm. things like yeah, that. Sure. I mean, they, you know. I'm not one of those people, but, but there are people that do that. And so these dead man fingers get a lot of internet time. There's a lot of different ones, Xylaria, Polymorpha, and, and some of these other more well-known uh, Xylaria species. And you can find them. Now, you can Google it with your safe search on, and I think you'd be okay. I don't want to promise anything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I'll probably search your name and and that term, I, dead that's man's right. fingers, yeah. right? Search. And, or, or search taproot decline, and you'll see the dead man's fingers. I can yeah. promise you that. Uh, and that's important because these these can be a 
sort of a signal of sorts, uh, in addition to what you said, some of the foliage, uh, yeah, you know, markers. Um, we, we, we would call that a sign of the pathogen, whereas yeah. a rotten taproot would be a symptom oh, okay. of the disease. Okay. So you see a sign of, of this, what, what should a farmer do? Should, is there, is there a, have you guys sort of figured out a, a threshold of worry or concern? Uh, you, you know, you mentioned driving through a field and not noticing it on the yield monitor. Is there a threshold of concern here? Well, yeah, there is. And here's the two extremes. Like I described in the field in Lawrence County, well, that's a few tufts of yellow in amongst 140-something acre field. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not a concern, not mm -hmm. a big deal. The field that we're actually putting field trials on, uh, next year will be the second year that we're doing this, uh, in uh, Jerome, well, you know, I, for two years in a row, I couldn't walk through that field uh, getting pretty late in the season, you know, R five and a half, R six, pulling plants up and and find a plant that didn't have taproot decline. Oh, wow. that's serious. That's severe. I expect just from talking to the farmer and looking at that variety and that soil type and all, and what that variety is known to yield, you know, I suspect taproot decline is costing him. And again, this is my estimate. So this is just observational. This is not mm -hmm. like hard data, but I suspect taproot declines costing him in that field about 15 bushels. Wow. And it may be a little higher than that. Whereas in the field in Lawrence County, I would suspect taproot decline is, is there, but costing that particular farmer in that field, zero bushels mm -hmm. in yield loss. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. But uh, oh, generally ahead. speaking, there's not a threshold. We don't have a threshold. We have what, what we, what we would say is, and now with drones and yield monitors and things like that, we would look at the, the actual spatial impact of this. Like how many, how many acres, when you scout that field, how many acres do you have that you find symptoms in? And if, you know, if it's the size of a truck bed on a corner of a field, we're irritated by that. We don't like it. But that's not that impactful. But if it's scattered throughout the field, that's a problem. And we've seen a number of fields like that, especially in Chico County this year. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's continue playing this scenario out. So somebody sees, you know, taproot decline show up. They think it. They think they've sort of hit that that worry or concern mark. Uh, what what should they do next? Well, the you have to go back to fundamentals of pest management, integrated pest management. Mm -hmm. What is one of those fundamental principles is crop rotation. A lot of times what we see, and we've got some pretty decent data going back a long way to even before we knew what to call this disease, that rotation works. So it's a soybean pathogen. If you don't want to have, you know, as much taproot decline in a field the following year, well, grow corn grow something else, rotate out of soybean. What we've seen is that, and we have some USDA data that helps us track this, but in fields that have had soybean 10, 15 years, 20 plus years continuously in Southeast Arkansas, we see really severe taproot decline. In fields that have had a corn and soybean rotation for 10 years, you know, we also see some taproot decline, but for the most part, if we want to lessen the amount of disease in those fields that are continuously cropped to soybean, and that seems to be the most severe most of the time, we can just start a rotation and that will help. Mm -hmm. Okay. Outside of that, we really don't have a list of varieties that are tolerant or resistant, certainly. We're constantly working on that. I have big experiments in my lab right now that'll go all through the winter understanding that or trying to understand that right. and uh we just don't have anything like that right now yeah well how how does this differ from some from some of the other fungus you we were talking earlier uh, thinking about frog eye leaf spot or something like that you know how how would taproot decline differ differ from that well so so frog eye leaf spot is a foliar disease. A lot of these foliar fungal diseases, we can spray them with a fungicide. Yeah. And, and that offers some level of control with taproot decline and other soil-borne diseases. Once you're planted, 
that disease happens later in the year, you don't you don't have any recourse. Interesting. You're planning for next year. I mean, there's nothing we can apply later in the season for a soilborne disease okay. like taproot decline. Yeah. And so we have to manage it on the front end. We have some chemistries that have shown promise with like inferro as an inferro fungicide application or like a seed treatment. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's some there's some uh, some labeling that it's not explicitly labeled for that particular use being a new disease the disease is not on any of those labels and then right. the other thing with seed treatments even those chem- even though those chemistries are um efficacious this the the pathogen we do know the pathogen can infect the plant from the time that seed's put in the ground all the way through the season seed treatment just doesn't last long enough mm-hmm. well that's that that makes sense. And that, I think that helps me at least understand sort of the, the treatment side of that and the difference of some of these other issues that we see. Anything else we should know about taproot decline and, or, or the work that you all are doing on this right now? Well, I think, I think what people should know is that one, our, our soybean boards in Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, um, have been very generous in funding uh, not just my lab, but mm-hmm. other labs uh, in Arkansas, Dr. Alejandro Rojas in Fayetteville, who is our soybean, uh, our soilborne research pathologist, mm-hmm. uh, and as well as Dr. Allen's lab, Tom Allen and Mississippi Trey Price at LSU, uh, Vincent Doyle, who's a mycologist at LSU. I mean, we we have a really good team that can work on this problem because we've gotten some really good funding from our commodity boards to work on this problem. And they've been good at recognizing what, you know, that, that we have an issue that, and we don't know enough about it yet. And it's, it's kind of a frustrating disease to work with. It's difficult, like a lot of soil borne diseases, it's all new, you know, these other diseases we deal with. I mean, we've known about, sudden death syndrome and southern root knot nematode and that causes root disease and mm-hmm. you know frog alley we've known about these for years and years and years we've really only known about taproot decline for a little over 10 years and in the scientific world that's especially in the in in the row crop world and row crop science and plant pathology uh that's that's not much time to sort out some complexity here yeah yeah well that makes sense and and uh and i think all the all this information you shared today has you know will be helpful to to farmers and um just most importantly thank you for taking the time to talk to us about this and we'll we'll certainly stay on top of it glad to hear the checkoffs are involved in those three states i think you mentioned maybe even before we started recording they're sort of being this co-op uh team uh fighting this here in the south and um Anyway, just thanks for all your good work, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us about it. Well, I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about a disease that I think is important for our our soybean farmers, especially in the southeastern part of the state. So, you know, we're here to help them, and uh, I appreciate you having me today. Yeah, sure thing. Next, back by popular demand, Eli Lovin with Red Barn Carnivores shares some basics about carnivorous plants and busts some myths along the way. Do carnivorous plants need nitrogen to live? Do they actually eat animals in the wild? Listen to learn all about these mysterious flowers. Continuing with our... uh spooky halloween uh episode of the arkansas agcast today i am welcomed by mr eli lovin from red born jesus hold on (laughs) take two all right continuing with our spooky version of the arkansas agcast uh, i'm joined today by mr eli lovin of red barn carnivores uh here in central arkansas Eli, my friend, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Arkansas AgCast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so uh, we are here to talk about carnivorous plants. And I must admit to you, uh, I (laughs) 
feel a little bit out of my loop here. If we were talking soybeans or rice, uh, you know, I think I'd be okay, but this is totally new to me. It, it, am I, am I the oddball out here by not knowing much about this? Uh, I know quite a bit, but I think, I think you'll be fine. You know what a Venus flytrap is. So you're, you're caught up with the average people for sure. That's it. Yeah. So, uh, I think probably Rocky horror picture show is the extent of most people's knowledge about (laughs) carnivorous plants. So I'm hoping that we can have a carnivorous plants 101 talk today. How's that sound? Sure. Sounds fantastic. Well, cool. Well, let's, let's hop, let's hop in and, and get started by you. Just, can you, can you give us kind of a, a definition? Tell us, tell us what qualifies a car as a carnivorous plant. Yeah. So funnily enough, that's actually something that's up for debate amongst people who are a lot more in the weeds than I am, like people who care about the taxonomy and the science behind everything. But in layman's terms, essentially, it is a plant that acquires its nutrients from eating prey. So mm-hmm. there are, for example, some people consider nettles uh, a carnivorous plant, you know, uh, sawbriars or plants with a lot of thorns because they can catch animals and get them hung up and then they die. And when they decompose, they feed the soil. But okay. um, for for my uh, focus, I'm mainly just concerned about plants that eat bugs like a mm-hmm. Venus flytrap or a pitcher plant or a sundew. Um, but yeah, essentially they've evolved from getting these really, really poor nutrient soil areas, uh, peat bogs, really acidic soil, or, you know, just uh, some, some of them are epiphytic. So they grow and um, just like on cliff faces or on other trees. So there's not a lot of nutrients being taken up by their roots and where they get mainly, I think they're focused on nitrogen. They get it from the bugs that they eat. So they have various mechanisms to lure these bugs to them. And uh, then they obviously eat them for the nitrogen, but they funnily enough, don't get their energy from the bugs. They actually get that from the sun. So oh, interesting. they're pretty much still a regular plant. Yeah. Like they, you cannot feed a carnivorous plant and it'll grow just fine. Uh, the main thing is just, it's kind of like fertilizer. I mean, it's like nitrogen. So nitrogen fertilizer on crops. Uh huh. So an infatuation. Pardon? What was that? <laughs> Sorry, I asked this question and then I got choked up. I, <laughs> so yeah. the question is: so an infatuation with if if they're not needed for survival, is this just a uh, you know something they think is tasty, like when we eat a good <laughs> cheeseburger? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they definitely thrive when they're fed. So out in the greenhouse during the summer, uh, I have a colony of ants that tends to move in and they Mm -hmm. just set up shop around all the pitcher plants and the pots and everything. And the plants do a lot better. They grow faster. Obviously, that's because more sunlight and also better temperatures. But uh, you can tell the colors get more robust whenever they detect prey. Um, it's, It's pretty much like just think of a flower on your windowsill, when it gets more light, it's going to put out bigger flowers. When it gets fertilized, it's going to put out prettier, uh, more robust flowers and flower more frequently. So uh, the pitchers that they put out are in the Venus flytraps case, the little traps that it puts out, they definitely grow better and get a little bit bigger and they have better colors whenever they have prey to eat. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Well, you, you, you've gotten into it already. So I'm just going to ask you, uh, how in the world do you grow, you know, a carnivorous plant? Uh, is it, you know, are there any special needs involved or there, you know, anything like that? What, what's that process look like? Sure. I mean, pretty much the only requirement, um, especially here in central Arkansas, cause I don't know if you know this, but we have some of the cleanest water in the whole country. So mm-hmm. our tap water is basically rainwater. Um, very, very clean. So you can water most carnivorous plants with tap water. They'll do totally fine. That's true for most areas of the country. Um, unless you have like a house with really old pipes or something, you're going to be totally fine. But Mm -hmm. as far as growing them, ironically, you don't fertilize them. That's one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they'll take a Venus flytrap and put it in miracle grow, uh, because they grew in those really nutrient poor conditions, their roots aren't condition to take up uh any any fertilizers so okay think of it as uh like trying to suck a rock through a straw it'll just clog the roots in some cases it'll burn them 
So it can cause the plant to die off pretty quickly. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's pretty straightforward. The I think the one major challenge that people have with them is not having enough light. Um, so Venus flytraps, typically people will grow them on their windowsills. They won't do very well and they'll die. But people don't know that they're full sun plants. So they're native to the Carolinas and okay. they grow in big open fields and peat bogs where they get, you know, eight to 12 hours of sun a day. Mm -hmm. So that's where they really thrive. Same with a lot of other plants. Uh, the pitcher plants that I grow, they can do windowsill. There's several different ones that can, um, but they'll still still do better. Their pitchers will be bigger and prettier if they, if they get enough light. So I'd say for the average person, that's going to be the biggest challenge, but you can get a grow light on Amazon for like 20 bucks. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. So no, no nutrients or, or miracle grow type. What about any special pots, any planters, anything like that? Oh yeah. Now that you mention it, uh, you're not supposed to use terracotta. Oh um, wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 So terracotta, you know, it's like really porous. Uh, the, the chemicals or whatever is used in that process, I'm not really super familiar with it, but whatever is used in that process, it leaches into the soil and it's pretty much the same thing. It just kills the roots. They're, they're super sensitive when it comes to that. Um, but, but yeah, terracotta is something you want to avoid like a glazed ceramic or a plastic pot is what most people use. Obviously inside you'll use something like a glazed ceramic. And then in my, in my case, since I have so many, I just use plastic pots, but yeah. they tend to work pretty well. Yeah. And now I, I'm going to ask you a, a a question that, uh, you know, you may not care to answer, but assuming sure. that red barn carnivores, you, you sell these, but you, you, you've got a commercial production or is this a hobby? Yeah. So I'd say right now we're probably a step beyond hobbyists. So we do have, uh, we do have a greenhouse that we operate out of and we sell plants out of online through our store, redbarncarnivores.com. Uh -huh. But we don't have any commercial operations right now. We're we're wanting to get to the point where we can start to work more in conservation um, because one thing that these plants are suffering from is people are fascinated by them because they're so unique. They're so cool. Like the Venus flytrap is just ubiquitous, but unfortunately it's subject to poaching. Mm. Um, and it's one of those, one of those tough conditions where uh, you can't really monitor all of the bogs. We don't have the resources for that. Um, so one thing that can deter people from going out and stealing them in the wild is to actually just buy them from Lowe's or Walmart. You know, you can see them pretty readily available there. Uh -huh. Um, but those plants are sourced from tissue culture, which I'm sure you're familiar with is just being able to produce plants very, very quickly in a lab. And mm -hmm. whenever you're able to introduce that, you can drive down the price, which kind of counters it if he's the purpose of poaching because if you can get a fly trap for you know five or ten bucks no one's going to go pay 30 40 dollars for a poached one right um so yeah that's what we're we're really trying to move towards tissue culture especially in the case of nepenthes because those are incredibly subject to poaching um i'm not sure what really drive i mean i know what drives it it's money right but um I know that culturally they mostly grow in Asian countries, uh, Southeast Asia is where they're endemic to. Um, so the, the culture over there, I've spoken with several people, uh, actually a couple of people who do poach just out of curiosity, because there was a pretty big investigation not too long ago into a group of Indonesians who were just going out into the mountains and taking them. And I mean, it, it pretty much boiled down to, I do this to feed my family. Yeah. Um, and which, you know, everyone would do that. So you can't, you can't blame them for doing that. If it was between, you, you know, cutting some plants down or not being able to feed your kids, you're going to obviously choose to feed your kids. But um, that has had some pretty intense consequences on wild populations. For example, there are several Nepenthes that just within the past few years are uh, effectively extinct in the wild. Like mm -hmm. there's only there's a couple species where there's only one female uh, or, you know, one male, but the that's it. So thankfully those are in tissue culture, but that's something that can be addressed and really needs to be um, in order to kind of work for conservation because there are some, some plants that still are being discovered that they'll be discovered then, you know, three or four days later, the population's found and then it's just wiped out. So um, 
long, long answer, but yeah. essentially just saying we're wanting to ramp up to uh, some tissue culture because that's something we're really passionate about is the conservation aspect. Yeah, and it's it's interesting I, that the commercial operation sort of leads to or supports the, um, you know, the conservation aspect, and I, I think that's right. really cool. So, uh, so obviously you're really passionate about this, but a, a, sure. a person like me who, you know, grows some grows some herbs on the deck or, you know, has a few decorative flowers or plants around, mm-hmm. what why might I be interested in this? I think it's just like everyone has a childlike fascination when it comes to things that are unique or different. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially, you know, the Venus flytrap. I remember when I was a kid, I was always wanting one and I, you know, I killed one every single time I got one, but mm-hmm. I just always thought they're really cool. And it's just, you know, why do people pay $200 for Kanye shirts? It's because yeah. they're cool. They're unique. And uh, it just, it's a way to express yourself and a way to uh, just have something that, you know, not a lot of people have, and it's, it's a cool talking point. It's something to care for. There, there's a lot sure. of reasons, but, um, mainly it's just cause they're, they're really neat. I yeah. mean, there's really not much that tops as far as growing a plant goes. There's not much that tops watching a Venus flytrap eat a wasp or, you know, a fly or something that lands in it, or, uh, you know, seeing a colony of ants marching up and down your Nepenthes and falling into the pitcher plant. Just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I got to tell you, producer Matthew here uh, in the studio, I saw his face, and I know what he's thinking. He never thought Kanye would be mentioned on the <laughs> Arkansas AtCast. <laughs> yeah, I like to that's, plug him wherever I can. That's out of left field for uh, Arkansas farmers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. All right. No, no, no. no All great. good. <laughs> All good. So I've just got a couple more questions for you because I think this has been fascinating. And I want to ask you about, the most popular, but before we get there, I found an article on kids national geographic Mm -hmm. and you, you probably have seen this article before, but it's, uh, eight awesome carnivorous plants. Yeah. And, uh, so it's got different names and different photos, but I, I just want to ask, are carnivorous plants always, do they all have like these kind of wild and wacky names to them? And I yeah. want to go over a couple. <laughs> You've mentioned the the pitcher plant. Obviously, uh-huh. we know the Venus flytrap, but uh, this one kind of stuck out to me: the cobra lily. Can you tell me anything about the cobra lily? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, if I I think is it technically called like darling tona? I'm not sure. I can't oh. remember the scientific name of it, but it's a type of Saracenia that is essentially the American pitcher plant, which is basically, think of the Nepenthes where it's got the pitcher at the end of the leaf. It's basically that, but the uh-huh. whole plant is the pitcher. So uh, they grow in really cold conditions. Okay. They can do really well. Um, yeah. I think I've seen I've seen pictures of ones frozen completely in ice, and they do totally fine. Wow. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're really, really hardy. But once again, they're a full sun plant, so they'll I'll, need a lot of light. I like this description. Bugs get confused by the translucent windows in the, in the leaves. They think they're <laughs> escaping, but they're really flying deeper inside. I mean, that's 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 some creepy Halloween stuff for you there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, the butterwort. Uh, oh, yeah, that's sticky lettuce. Those are, <laughs> those are cool. They're, they're just succulents, but they're sticky. Yeah. Yeah, they do, they do look like a succulent. We're big fans yeah. of those at my house. The monkey cup. Yeah, that's the Nepenthes. That's my bread and butter. Okay. That's, All uh, right. So they're called that. They're called monkey cups because in the wild, it's been observed that uh, monkeys in the jungles will actually, uh, so the Nepenthes fluid before the pitcher opens is sterile, but also it'll collect rainwater. You know, uh-huh. it's got a, an open lid. So monkeys will come by and actually drink from those to get their water. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. The Australian sundew. That's fine. It's not too exciting. And then they really wrap up the last one here in their list with uh, with a good one. The big floating bladder wart. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's yellow. It's the first oh, one, yeah, of, yeah. you know, that's got a lot of color of, of any of these that I've seen. Yeah, bladder warts can produce some really cool flowers. That's, a, that's another, that's actually a good point to bring up. So, like, you can own carnivorous plants and if you like flowers, they still produce. Well, Nepenthes don't produce flowers. Their flowers smell awful. Um, but <laughs> but <laughs> Venus flytraps and uh, bladderworts and, and pings too, they produce uh, 
they produce really nice looking flowers, like some good purples and pinks and whites. So definitely look into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. And, and obviously fun, fun, creative names there. Well, uh, before we wrap up and get out of here, I, I can only imagine, which is with as deep and as wide as this topic is and as fascinating as it is. And like I said, it's, you know, these, these things have been the, the stars of movies in some cases. Um, are there any myths out there? Some basic, a basic myth or two that, that might, you know, might be good for you to take a shot at and, and help us bust or correct. <laughs> yeah. So aside from the, the care myths that we, that we covered, uh, one that for some reason, my, my wife's, uh, grandma always insists is that the fly trap is like going to jump out and attack her. <laughs> um, so she's always, she's always afraid to stick her fingers towards the traps at all. And I try to explain to her that, Hey, it's, it's just a plant. Um, yeah. but you know, she, I think it's just because it moves on its own. Um, yeah. and I have seen some people who tried to argue that fly traps might have some form of consciousness because they move, but that's not the case. There's plenty of plants that do that. So, uh, We'll say, we'll say that for philosophy one. 101. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then I guess other than that, the, the, a good myth to kind of segue into just people being interested in these is they're a lot easier to take care of than you think. Yeah. So um, definitely look into it and just do a little bit of research or, you know, send me an email and I'll be happy to answer. Awesome. So maybe if you've got a black thumb, the uh, carnivorous plant might be the one for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's awesome. I, uh, I, I went to just do a little research before the show and I saw one of the, like the top Googled question. That's a, that's a technical verb there. The, the top Googled question was <laughs> do carnivorous plants eat humans or has one ever eaten a human? <laughs> I thought that was yeah. pretty good. So, um, no, they, they don't really prey on blood. They don't have a, a, a thirst for blood, but there are uh, plants that have eaten birds, lizards, and actually monkeys in some cases. So, oh wow, um, okay, yeah, the okay. Nepenthes, the pitcher plants. Uh, you know, I mentioned the monkey cups. Mm -hmm. There's one called Nepenthes raja, and it can get roughly the pitchers can get to roughly the size of a basketball, mm -hmm. and they have found, uh, you know, like infant monkeys that went to go get a drink and then fell in. Um, so they. Wow. They do have a thirst for blood, but not human blood. We're too big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I that's what I thought. Okay. You're safe, Carmel. Did you hear that? No worries. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Eli, thank you so much for taking the time uh to yeah, join absolutely. us on the Arkansas iCast. I think this is a fascinating topic. I'm gonna keep my eye out the next time we go to a nursery uh to look for a carnivorous plant, maybe try my hand at it. Uh, in full for sun, sure. of course. Uh yeah. and yeah. <laughs> And we can find anybody who wants to learn more about this or ask you any kind of questions, where should they go? Uh, they can find us on redbarncarnivores.com or our uh, Facebook and Instagram is just redbarncarnivores. We also, you, you can send us an email at any, any time at uh, redbarncarnivores at gmail.com. So it's all the same thing. Yeah. Very easy to remember. Um, and we do ship everywhere. So if you, if you see anything you like, feel free to dive in. We have care sheets as well. So we're more than happy to uh, accommodate anybody. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, but want to see some of the actual things that Eli has talked about on today's uh, uh, conversation, we produced a video a few months ago, uh, went out, actually made a visit to the greenhouses at Red Barn Carnivores. You're welcome to visit ARFB.com, which is the Arkansas Farm Bureau's website our YouTube channel, Facebook page, Instagram, all, any of that. And you can find, just search for Red Barn Carnivores and you will find some visuals and a good interview and things like that uh, with Eli. So thanks again, man. I appreciate you joining us so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about it. Yeah. Finally, Jason Brown and Jenny Higgs join forces to share some of the best Halloween and harvest activities from around the state this weekend. Find out what's happening in your area and have a few laughs when you hear about their favorite costumes growing up.
Continuing the uh, super spooky Halloween edition of the Arkansas AgCast, Jenny and I wanted to uh, come back in the uh, ARFB studios and talk a little bit about some Halloween and fall activities available around the state. Jenny, do you want to get a little spooky with it? Yeah, let's get spooky with it. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, how about we uh, how about we kick it off by just kind of sharing some events uh, from around the state that folks can participate. So this mm-hmm. is, it's Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's October 28th. Mm-hmm. Podcast so came, comes out today. Today. We're very timely. Very timely. And it's like, we are in the throes of Halloween. Oh yeah. Fall and harvest right now. It's cold today. Like, I walked outside, it was about 50 something degrees, which for Arkansas is, you know, yeah. not around often. Yeah. Like, I need to get a heavy jacket now. It's yeah. Halloween. It's going to be chilly tomorrow. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Little it's gray like, skies. I'm glad you look at the weather ahead of time. Well. I just kind of go day by day. <laughs> I don't suggest it, but like, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, you walk out and you're like, yeah, well, I should <laughs> probably put weather. something different on. I'll just go back inside and change. That's how I check <laughs> it. This is the weather now. Uh, <laughs> my wife, she just asked. Uh, Alexa every morning. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> that's how she gets stressed. That's smart. Uh, well, yeah, I can kick off. Yeah, okay, All cool. All right, so um, we got something going on in central Arkansas. Uh, it's in my neck of the woods. Okay. Um, Have you ever heard of Harvest Fest before? Yeah, I think Hillcrest. I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that happens every year. Of course, last year we couldn't have it. Hillcrest Harvest Fest is going on, but I want to highlight there's a Hillcrest Harvest Fest. Lots of words there dog show oh what which i'm super stoked for it's uh saturday october 30th this is in little rock from 3 30 to 5 30 um on top of the dog show which i'm assuming is like costumes like dress up your dog however um there's bands farmers market uh costume contest for adults too i actually highly suggest you dress up your dog and you in like a matching yeah i was gonna say couples costume but (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> not a couple, so, you know, like a themed, themed costume is yeah. probably the better way to sew. And there's also a bag of tournament. Oh, which, okay. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, uh, if you, you don't have a dog, right? I used to. Okay. R.I.P. Owen. Okay, Owen. If you, if Owen was here and oh, you God. guys were going out right, to the uh, dog show, I got it. what would you be? So, Owen's personality, um, he's 10-year-old. I rescued him. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a grumpy old man. He was... Uh, literally a grumpy old man uh walter um matthew matto matthew matthew yeah. wow really wanted to process Dennis the menace fan yeah yeah so he was that in a dog like oh, that really? was his personality so i would take grumpy old man the movie uh-huh i'd let him be walter uh-huh and i'd be the other one <laughs> we'd just be two old men jack lemon i think was yeah, the jack other. Lemon. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i love jack lemon so, so i'm like it hot he's from there but uh i'd be jack lemon he'd be walter and that that'd be our costumes. I think you guys would win. I mean, yeah. I'm not there. I don't. I don't, I don't know, know what other costumes are showing up. I don't know how you attach a cane to a dog. That's the only tough part oh, about can, that one. You can figure that out. Yeah, That's for sure. Problem. Okay. Yeah. So Hillcrest Harvest Fest. Yep. Uh, primarily, you're interested in the dog show uh, from three thirty to five thirty. Uh, but lots going on up there, and you're right. They weren't able to have that last year, Mm-mm. so I'm sure it'll be a big big time this year. Uh, I noted the uh, Rogers Goblin Parade and Candy Crawl in Northwest Arkansas, and I've got to be honest, I was drawn to this because I'm a fan of the word goblin. Is it legitimate uh, goblins? Uh, I think to I mean, the extent that, that children are, are considered goblins. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know goblins aren't legitimate, or are they? <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I think that keeps playing. Sorry, guys. Don't know how to work that. Uh, but... I was curious, is that like the theme? Does everyone dress in goblins in the parade or I think so. I think it's just I think they're just calling costumed gotcha. uh attendees goblins. Uh but anyway, this is in Rogers. Uh it's happening downtown from three thirty to five thirty uh on Friday evening, uh the twenty ninth. Yeah. And uh yeah, tomorrow and trick or treating, costume parade for the kids. This is a family friendly event. So if you're in northwest Arkansas, hit up the Rogers Goblin Parade and Candy Crawl. Dude, I wish I could just go to all these. Like I'm all about this. We just need a tour bus. <laughs> can someone sponsor us so we can have a tour bus Please. do the podcast? And somehow incorporate we'll we'll incorporate farming with all I mean, 
honestly, all of this, like, farming contributes a lot to all of these things. Have you ever gone and seen a hay bale or, like, yeah. some dried corn or stock or, you know, like, there's just pumpkins. I mean. There will be a harvest or agriculture aspect to all this. To every, guess. everything. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, I got one. So, Halloween weekends at Magic Springs. So, we all know where that is. Down yep. in uh, Hot Springs. Uh, that's going to be from noon to 6 p.m. And it's every weekend day. So, assuming, like, that probably starts Friday to Sunday. Um, but some of the features, which one of these I'm so, so stoked for, uh, we have magic farms, hay maze, uh, the undead cemetery, a walk through a living dead graveyard, which is, uh, trippy. Yeah. Pumpkin chunkin. Pumpkin chunkin. I want to let y'all know, (laughs) it is not spelled like pumpkin. It's spelled P-U-N-K-I-N. So that's why it's pumpkin chunkin with a catapult. Whoa. And then... My favorite. A catapult. <laughs> my favorite. You get to meet a baby dragon. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> like gosh. What? Oh, my goodness. I'm like, wait a second. I have many questions. Yeah. You know, like, I went to the Memphis Zoo as a kid a lot, and they'd uh-huh. be like, oh, we got a dragon. And in my head as a kid, I was like, oh, this thing's going to be flying. Like, you know, <laughs> like Lord of the Rings. Not the Lord of the Rings. Like, Game of Thrones, like a chain around his neck. Just yeah. like breathing fire. Yeah. And then we went over there, and this guy was like sunbathing on a rock. <laughs> he was just some tiny looking thing. What kind of dragon? It was what, you know, what they classify a as a dragon. It looked like a lizard. <laughs> it was disappointing. <laughs> so I want to know. Someone's going to have to send me a picture about this. Of this this dragon? Yeah. Yeah. So if you head down to Magic Springs this weekend, looks like they're open noon to six uh, every day. Please uh, send us uh, a photo of the dragon. You can send that to Facebook, Instagram. You can tag us. Yeah. Please. All right. What do you got? All right. uh, this uh, This is one that I'm personally excited about. It's for the eastern part of the state. So if you're in Cross County, St. Francis, Lee, anywhere uh, over on the east side of the state, this is Trigger Treat at Village Creek. This is taking place at Village Creek State Park on Saturday, the 30th, uh, from 5 to 7 p.m. This is pretty cool. If you've ever been there as a camper, uh, here's a little uh, tidbit. Village Creek State Park is the largest state park in the state of Arkansas. There are 52 really? state parks, and this is the biggest one. It's like huh. over 9,000 acres, I think. Yeah, so they'll have nature-themed Halloween programs, kids' story time around the campfire. Uh, every campsite, I think, is a is a trick-or-treat station set up by a local organization That's or a business. Cool. Yeah, uh, costume kit, uh, costume contest, and then the first 500 kids uh, in a costume get a free flashlight. So a little safety to go along with all the fun. I'm more concerned about why we're handing out flashlights at this thing. I'm yeah. Going to get haunted out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's in uh, East, East Arkansas. How that's about you? That's really cool. I mean, it's really neat reading all these, like, different activities people are coming up with. Because it's yeah. not just like, here's a hayride. Yeah. Here's some candy. Yeah, like, it's yeah. like, hey, meet a dragon. Hey, every campsite's going to hand out candy. Like, Go on a nature-themed. Hey, dress up with your dog. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I got one. Uh, so this is in Western Arkansas. Uh, it's the Paris, Arkansas Fall Festival, and I'm glad we put Arkansas in there, so no one has to fly to Paris, France. Yeah. Where's the? Save some money. I need the joke one. Where is it? Nope. But that's a good joke. Uh, so yeah, right. thank you everyone for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, so it's gonna be October 31st. So actually on Halloween, that's gonna be Sunday. Uh, 4 to 7 p.m. It's downtown Paris at the courthouse. Uh, it's going to feature trick-or-treating, bounce houses, train rides, and free food. <laughs> yeah, buddy. That's I thought about I'm you when I saw this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, Jay's uh, probably going to show up to this because there's free <laughs> well, food. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, after our conversation about the fair, you're yeah. like, look, if there's free food, I'm probably there. <laughs> so... I mean, and this is on Sunday, so you could do the dog parade on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Make your way to Paris on Sunday. Yeah. The, yeah, the only downfall is not meeting the baby dragon. So I'm going to uh, keep yeah. hitting that home until someone sends me a picture of this. <laughs> All right, I know awesome. you got another one, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. I've got one more. Uh, this one seemed kind of fun to me, and this is uh, the Diamond Park Speedway Trunker Treat with the drivers in Whoa. southwest Arkansas. Yeah, this is uh, in Nashville. So the Diamond Park Speedway down there in Nashville, Arkansas. Uh, this is also taking place on Saturday. Seems like most of the celebrations are yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Yeah, so uh, gates open at 5 p.m. 
they'll have a meet and greet with the drivers, uh, trigger treating. Uh, I think I read that the track is providing over 200 pounds of candy itself. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen someone deliver in pounds, but all right. I know. And then, uh, they say you can ride the cool bus <laughs> I, at intermission. I love this because I never rode the cool bus when I no, was a kid. No, no, no. That. No, that, that's the truth. Uh, they would stop me at the door. Uh, and then Excuse they've you, got... Are you here to clean? <laughs> they've got regular points racing as well. So you can take in some good Arkansas uh, race car action, meet the drivers, grab some candy, yep. all kinds of fun down there. That's cool. All right, I got one more, so we were making sure we're hitting every part of the state. Yeah, cool. Uh, I got Murphy Arts District Farmer's Market Pumpkin Day. Okay. Uh, that's going to be in southeast Arkansas. It's going to be in downtown El Dorado. Uh, it's going to be October 30th, so this Saturday from 8 to 11 a.m. That'd be nice because you can some participate in action. that, and then like at night you can... Because I guess people are either trick-or-treating on Saturday and Sunday or just Sunday. I don't know how that works. Don't have a kid. Yeah. What are you doing for Maryland? Is she? Yeah. Actually, we're going to do the uh, Village Creek. Okay. The trick-or-treat at oh, Village Creek nice. thing. That would yeah. be nice. That would be nice. But uh, this Murphy's Arts di- District uh, Pumpkin Day, they're going to have pumpkin painting, fall photography, lawn games, food, trick-or-treating, and local farmers. I like that. I like that Man. they highlight local farmers. That would be cool. Yeah. And there's a if you go to their website... Or look up this event on Facebook. There's a full list of the farms uh, that would be represented at that farmer's market. So I also yeah. think it may be the only one that's really during the day. So if you've got... Yeah, it sounds like it. If you've got young kids that maybe don't need to be up too late at night or something like that, this would be a great option down in El Dorado. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, so before we kick up, like, in this... Yeah. Um, and I know everyone's been enjoying the last 12 minutes with us. <laughs> um, I did want to ask some, a personal question. Do we have time for that? Uh, yeah, 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 sure. Okay. I'm kind of scared. This uh, got very spooky all of a sudden. <laughs> we like to keep things surface level here. We don't yeah. like to actually get to know each other. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, like, what was your favorite costume? As a kid? <laughs> That's my well, serious like, question. Like, like costume that I wore or yeah, like costume yeah, yeah. that I saw? No, 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 no. The costume that you wore that you remember. Oh, man. Uh, let me think about that. You know? I think when I, all right, so I, I can't remember how old I was. I'm going to guess I was like four or five. Can't okay. Wait. Yeah. It was a long time ago. Uh, I, man, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I dressed as one of the California raisins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know why you think that's so funny, but. Actually, actually, well, number one, I want to say these guys were incredibly <laughs> yes, famous great and popular. Singers, great singers. They had the Motown scene yeah, down to a. For sure. But like, how did you, as a four-year-old, look like a dried-up grape? <laughs> well, they were so famous. <laughs> in fact, that Walmart uh, sold a California raisin costume, uh, completely not fire. Retardant or resistant, I can assure you that. <laughs> Did it was, you have the white gloves? Did oh, they yeah. wear white gloves? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they wore white gloves. I had the white gloves. I had the, it was basically like a upside down bag <laughs> that just had eye holes and arm holes cut out of it. <laughs> but thank you for laughing at my costume. I thought it was the best one I've ever had. Like, the concept of, like, making a dried grape, like, sack and putting it on someone is just kind of funny. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a question for you. Oh, God. What? What was your favorite? What was your favorite costume growing up? Assuming that you I don't still do growing up and not my college. <laughs> one, because uh, that one is hilarious. Well, tell us. Yeah, it could be all from right, any time. All right, all right. Well, I no, I wore this one in high school. I wore this okay. one in high school. Uh, it's it's kind of could it be controversy? I, controversial? Maybe. Okay. I don't know. Oh, that's... Um, but I was trying to get real creative. Okay. And so I went to this high school party as um now. There's more behind this as Martha Stewart, but oh. <laughs> hold on. Oh. But Martha Stewart in jail. 
Oh my gosh. So wait, wait, listen. All right, listen. Martha Stewart makes great great food and cookies, all right? Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. I wore like so I had a blonde wig. Okay. But then I wore a bandana over the wig and top it. <laughs> and I had a plaid shirt on, like a plaid flannel, and then I had a basket of muffins. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had like the inmate number uh-huh. on the side, so okay. I was handing out muffins. Honestly, it was. I bet you're pretty good. popular. It was a pretty good costume, though. I did get asked to <laughs> more than not, but <laughs> I thought it was pretty innovative. That's a sign of a uh, uh, underperforming costume <laughs> when you have to answer. Who who so who are you again? Why are you this blonde lady? It looks like she's been in jail handing out muffins. And yeah. I was like, put it together. <laughs> I mean, I have been a hot dog before too. So I remember going to a Halloween party in college. I was dressed as just an inmate, like yeah, yeah. pretty basic orange jumpsuit. Right. <laughs> Sounds like some a dude in college yeah. would wear you'd be like, Exactly. Well, you know, it seemed pretty simple. Uh and I thought it was pretty straightforward, you know. And uh the DJ at the party like called me out, like a shout out uh, as the janitor. <laughs> <laughs> he thought I was there dressed as a janitor, and that was incredibly embarrassing. <laughs> you might as well have just grabbed a broom and something, but like, yep, yep. exactly. <laughs> this is what I am. Exactly. For so. sure, this is what I am. Oh boy! All oh. right, uh, one more. Yeah, yeah. Um, one more. What is your? What is? What do you think is the best? Halloween candy, like you're going up, you're knocking on the door, or I'll, I'll give you a better story. I'll I'll give a better scenario. There was always that house or that neighborhood in town. Uh, everybody's hometown had yeah. this. That got rumored they give away like full size insert candy bars the or yeah, like yeah, something yeah. like that. So what you know? What was that? Yeah, it, you know, if there's the candy that just makes your day when you get home and it's it's in your pumpkin, what is it? All right, so. This is also controversial for me internally uh-huh. <laughs> uh, because I love candy. My okay. dad was a dentist. My mom was a hygienist. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, they're retired now. Uh, my dad was super disappointed into me, uh, into me, <laughs> disappointed of me uh-huh. uh, frequently, not because of any of my accomplishments or anything, but just because like I loved candy. He mm-hmm. was like, Jenny, I got to stop doing these feelings, man. <laughs> like you got to chill out <laughs> on the candy. Um. So, I love Kenny. Love, 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 love. But if I'm going to talk mm-hmm. specifically about Halloween and what I looked forward to. Yeah. I don't know if this is candy or not. But the uh, caramel popcorn. Yeah. Balls, I know exactly what you're talking about. Do you know what about. I'm talking about? Yeah. Those caramel. Like, it was like a it was a ball put together uh-huh. by caramel, I think. And yeah. It was like either kettle corn or regular popcorn. Yes. I looked forward I to that. I forgot about those until I, just now. I don't know if that's can- classified as candy, but when someone handed is. those out, uh-huh. I was always stoked because those only came around around Halloween. That's it. Like, yeah. No one ever had them any other time, and I loved them. I forgot all about those. Yeah. Yeah. And that was back in the day, like, I mean, not to age ourselves here, but that was back in the day when people did do some homemade yeah. Candy making. Yeah, when for, you're just like accepting anything like, from anyone. Yeah, sure. I've never been in your kitchen. I don't know if you wore gloves or a hairnet, but yeah. you're like, I'll oh, eat sweet. That yeah. Thing. Yeah. Nothing. Never paid attention to that uh, open package or anything. That was like speaking when I got of, a little bit older. Yeah. Speaking of, you know what that makes me think of? What? Did you, like the school carnival? Yeah. Always had that one room that had the cakewalk. Oh, yeah. Always homemade, like grandma cakes that, and you were always disappointed with everyone else. Like, <laughs> like you know, like that was the room you wanted to go to. And all I think about was like the other teachers, if they were just like, like yeah, they had the like you cast your uh, fishing pole oh, with the clothespin yeah. over. It. Like, no, Dude, nobody those, wants it. Those were bomb. Those like, man, can we do that at work? I know. I, I think wish we, we could at work. I mean, we enjoyed it so much as kids. Why wouldn't we do it at work? Yeah. But uh, yeah, the cakewalk at at school fairs during the Halloween, like the fall festival mm-hmm. or whatever, that was great. Caramel, the caramel popcorn balls. I don't know what they're called. Someone's gonna have to give me official name. Mm-hmm. Those are awesome. Um, because I hate to say a general candy brand because yeah. I would have those on the regular. So yeah. <laughs> not super special. So I think we should. If we find a recipe, maybe we could put that on Instagram stories Ooh, or something like that. I think that. that'd be great. Yeah. yeah okay. We cool. should do that. Cool, what cool, about cool. you? Um, you know, look, to this day, I am a fan of Reese's peanut butter cups. Oh yeah. And that's oh, like yeah, yeah, that's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the Holy Grail in my I opinion. I do love those too. Yeah. yeah. The, I don't care if it's the mini. I don't care if it's yeah. the full size. I'm not into the pieces. Not the Reese's yeah. pieces. Yeah. You and like ET wouldn't have worked cup. out. Did he really like Reese's Pieces? Yeah, he ate Reese's Pieces. That's how oh, he I found thought them. it was the Reese's Cup that he was into. No, he was, this is Reese's Pieces. No, me and E.T. wouldn't have worked out no matter what, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, if you are out there looking for some holiday harvest fun this weekend for Halloween, uh, there's plenty to be had. We yeah. just scratched the surface. I mean, there's so many other uh, events all around the state that you can get into. And just know that this is, you know, all kind of a celebration around bringing the farming year to a, a close. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good reminder for everyone. Yeah, so get out there and have some fun this weekend. Visit one of the agri- mini agritourism places, one of the pumpkin patches yes. across the state. There are several in c- central Arkansas and beyond. And, uh, yeah, just enjoy yourself safely and have a good Halloween. Yeah, have a good Halloween, everyone. That'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with more normal, non-scary news and views on Arkansas AgCast.